0: Hey there film buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I am your host Paul,
1: and I'm Lauren.
0: And we are joined once again by the one, the only, the irreplaceable Henry. Henry, how are you?
2: I'm well, Paul. Thanks for having me back on. Uh and um yeah, it's going well. Had a pretty quiet Christmas, but that was it was nice though and um I guess for anyone who doesn't know, I'm just on, on leave from the Air Force right now and I'm heading back in a few days, but wanted to see how much uh, Film Buds time I could get on while I'm here. So yeah, thanks for having me on and it's nice to see y'all again.
0: Yeah, it's good to see you too. No thanks necessary. I mean, you know, it's your show, you know, however long you're away, it'll always be, you know, something that that you brought us. So no I thanks should... necessary. It's your show. You always can come on whenever you like. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah,
2: huh. but uh, how was y'all's holiday? Um,
1: it was good. You know, we ran four miles on Christmas. I'd say that that was a Christmas miracle, indeed.
0: Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, nice and quiet. You know, got some, uh, got some clothes. I got a a really kickin' um, Vice Press Halloween poster for the for the 1978 film by an artist named Matt Ferguson. Uh, my sister got me that, and it was a poster that I had been eyeing for some time. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things that I didn't think that I would get it. You know, it was an exclusive and, you know, time and money and, and things like that being what they are. I just didn't think that it was going to happen. So when I, when I got it, I was pretty pumped about it.
2: So it, it yeah. was it was pretty good. Where'd you get it from? Um,
0: I, I, like, I think it's Vice Press. They're almost kind of like a British Mondo. Catch. Um and so yeah, my sister Madeline, who's been on the show a few times, um was kind enough to get it for me. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh did you get anything of
2: note? <sighs> um to
0: bring you a new set of fatigues.
2: <laughs> sadly, no, that was off the list, unfortunately. Um I got some shoes. Um I was kind enough to get some Lucky Charms, a box of Lucky Charms from someone that was really sweet, Um, because I've kind of been picking out since I've been home. Um, We were told to gain weight, a little bit of weight while we're here, and so I've been trying to uh, increase my uh, unhealthy intake. But um, other than that, yeah.
0: Before you cut?
2: Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Uh, So other than that, not too much. It was just, yeah, a nice time with family. And that was all that I really needed, you know, this year. So yeah. No, I get that. Yeah.
0: Um, well, it's a, it's a great episode. It's, it's our 201st episode. We finally crossed the 200 line. Yep. Um, and it's also our last episode of uh, 2021. Mm. And so we're, we're closing out the 2021 year and our holiday season um, today with gremlins and Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Um, but before we get uh, too deep along into the woods on, on how we feel about both of those uh, vintage films, uh, we actually, as promised from last week, have, you know, as a, as a fun way to also close out our, our month, a little Christmas history lesson brought to you by Lauren. Normally you have to listen to me babble um but but today you're gonna get to hear lauren tell y'all a little bit about the history of christmas dear you mm. ready
1: i mean yeah yes. can't can't <laughs> stall anymore yeah.
0: well then whenever you're ready go ahead and, and take it away dear educate gather round children and <laughs> and listen to lauren tell you about christmas <laughs> all right
1: um yeah history of christmas brought to you by my readings of A Christmas Cornucopia from, uh, by Mark Forsyth, Forsyth. Forsyth? okay, lovely, jo- by Mark Forsyth, um, I got this book, uh, my, my mother-in-law got me this, this lovely book at the beginning of the month, and it's basically, it says, um, the hidden stories behind our Yuletide tradition. And I haven't finished it yet, but I've gotten past Santa's biography and I feel like that's a, that's a good amount of information. Yeah. So I only have two more chapters left. It's Christmas dinner and um, Boxing Day. I'm excited to read about Boxing Day because I literally nice. don't know why people celebrate it or what it is. So
3: yep.
1: exciting. Um, but without further ado, here we go. Um, so it all kind of starts out with, you know, like, what christmas like we celebrated as the the birth of jesus um so let's start there when <coughs> was jesus born um <laughs> so early christians didn't really know when he was born but they did know when he died which was around um passover friday of year unknown i guess year 0 i'm not sure um but they really didn't celebrate birthdays back in the day so they just assumed that when you died that was your birthday because you know great people like to end out their life in a nice round number so Fair enough. they were like all right it was passover passover's in the spring so his birthday must also be in the spring so the original christmas was in late march early april around um, the spring equinox which is about like they said um the 28th of march was like their their christmas day, their celebration. And then so that was around like 280 is the first um, documented tellings of this by some crackpot back in the day who was like, I'm going to figure out how to um, figure out when this lands on the calendar by using quote unquote math and a lot of hopes and dreams, basically. Hmm. Nobody can like really second guess this guy's math because it doesn't make any sense. Um, so then like hundred and fifty years after that, they were like, you know, that doesn't sound too right. So they were like, you know, we, we know that, that Jesus was like conceived of sorts. So like in, in theory he should have like a gestation period, you know, like a in in the womb time.
3: Mm. So they
1: were like, Hey, let's let's pump it up. Nine months from his original birthday, and make that his like gestation period of sorts. And so they were like, "What's nine months after spring? Winter." They were like, "All right, let's let's move his birthday to like to the winter solstice, which is actually like this year was like the the twenty first of December, but never no, mind, no, 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 no. they don't care." They were like, let's do it on the 25th of December. That sounds really nice. There's a lot of people who are celebrating stuff around that time. Let's kick those celebrations out the way because Christianity rules. Yeah. And so that's where we get the day from. But we also have all of these other things that we do during Christmas time that they didn't do back in the day. Like, where do we get the Christmas tree from? Why do we have advent calendars, et cetera, et cetera and santa
4: Mm. you know so
1: fast forward a few hundred years to the medieval era and medieval people loved themselves some stories about the bible they loved adam and eve and they loved the virgin mary because how can you have jesus without the virgin mary so they um created these these plays called paradise plays where because nobody could read and so they had to get the the stories of the Bible told to them you through the arts and so flip my page excuse me
3: Mm, it's all good
1: And so Paradise plays were put on, and they had no stage directions other than the fact that A, they couldn't have Adam and Eve be nudists anymore. And B, they needed the tree that, you know, she gets the apple from. And so there were two people on stage, and there was a tree that was covered in apples, and they were like, We need the snake. So they would wrap like a piece of ribbon up this up the tree to symbolize the snake that, you know, convinced Eve to to forego the the paradise and and basically like go into sin, mm-hmm. and so fast forward now, you know hundreds of years, the Christmas tree is the only thing that survived because those plays were never written down, but they liked the the symbolism of it and they would do these plays on Christmas Eve, and so that's how we get our our dear old Christmas tree from. It's a nice German tradition. Mm-hmm which is fun. Honestly, yeah. a lot of our traditions from, from Christmas come pretty much from like Germany and like that era. Um, yeah. which is also how we got the advent calendar, which is basically just a countdown to Christmas.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And they would have, they have like a bunch of advent calendars from like the the late, um, 1850s and onward and people would make them handmade. You know, and usually you would either count down to Christmas with candles or you would use chalk to like mark off the days. Well, yeah. this man named Gerhard Lang, his dear mother, decided that he was so annoying around Christmas time because he loved the holidays so, so much that she would make him extra special advent calendars every year that had like candies and sweets in them and he loved the idea so much that when he got to be an adult he literally mass produced them hmm. and the rest is history
3: yeah there honestly
1: you go. um now onto my favorite part of the story Gerald santa claus so santa is based off of a real person um his name is nicholas uh he was he lived in the Two hundred eighty. He was born in two seventy A.D. in Patara, Turkey. And as the legend goes, he he did not like women or drinking or theater. He was a very very holy man, very yeah. close to God. But he was also from a pretty wealthy family, but he was the only child. So when his parents died. He had nothing to do with all of his money because he didn't like any of the sins of the world, basically, so he would do what most rich people do when they have too much money, they would give it to the poor hmm. and so he had a, a poor neighbor who was very modest and very proud, and so he would end up slipping money into his window at night in order to so that way he wouldn't have to like be like who, who did this?" you know can't give it back yeah and so he ended up becoming, like, the patron saint of, like, giving to people. And there's so many other things that he apparently did in his lifetime. He's, like, he apparently sa- saved some sailors and some children. And so that's eventually, I guess, how we got down the line to him being, like, Santa Claus as we know him. He was very very charitable man. But he died in in, let's see, 343 A.D., on December 6th, or so we believe. And so now that is like his patron saint day. Um, but fast forward now to the new world. We are in like the, the 1700s, you know, after, after the world, uh, the war um, for, for America, yay America. Sure. Um, <laughs> and so like the Christmas traditions were now being brought over to the new world. along came dear old Santa Claus as well, thanks to this man, um, John Petard, who loved himself the Saint Nicholas. He is the founder of the New York Historical Society and year after year, he was like, guys, let's make Saint Nicholas the patron saint of New York. And everybody was like, no. And he was like, fine, I'm gonna make him the saint of my historical society that I created. So he had like a, I guess, like a rival of the time named Washington Irving, and he was a little bit of an ass. He thought that um, John Petard and his like love for the saint was so funny that he would publish like satirical um, books and like magazines about how ridiculous this all sounded to him. But you know, back in the day, these people didn't realize that it was satirical and they were like, oh, all of this stuff is great. And so he ended up writing a book called The History of New York, where he would make all of these ludicrous claims about what Santa Claus did. And so he was like, oh, you know, he comes in the night, puts presents in stockings, and oh, he, he rides in a wagon and he's going to come down your chimney and all of this was was a joke to him he was he was making fun of all of this stuff and new york loved it they were like this is great we should add this all in to our belief of what christmas is of what christmas time means of of santa and at the end of the day like he did the exact opposite of what he was hoping to do
3: Mm -hmm.
1: which was like to to basically like besmirch this man's name and like, you know, make fun of his, his, his beliefs and all of this jazz, and ending up by doing all of this, he actually like cemented it further into people's like, lineage. And I just hmm. think that it, it's so funny that all of this stuff, the, from most of the things that we really like, keep now, just came from like the late 1800s and such. Yeah, Like, it's really not that old. Like, early, early Christmas was pretty, pretty much just, like, a festive, like, a festival of drinking and in celebration of, like, the birth of Christ, and that was pretty much it. There was no, you know, um, nativities, there was no trees, there were none, there was no feast of, like, specific foods. It was just, you know, another time to get drunk, basically. (laughs) and now you've got all these things that we like pass down from generation to generation that that are very cemented for the holidays to us that like really a lot of people just kind of made up and then latched on to and they're like i like this i like that i'm gonna you know pick and choose what christmas means and now now here we are
3: yeah
0: hmm. wow well, thank you dear that was yeah, fascinating that was so-
2: quite a bit of information.
1: (laughs) And honestly, that was like such an overview. I've really enjoyed reading this book. I think that he's really funny. I think that he understands that like all of this sounds as ridiculous as it is. And I've honestly like, I found it really informative and I would highly recommend it to anybody who who wants to know more about our Thai traditions.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Cause you know, yeah, I think that sometimes because we're we're locked in such a you know, we're locked within like an eighty year lifespan, I think it's sometimes that we forget that history happens over such a long period of time that something that you experience today, you know, could have easily formed over a hundred or more years across multiple continents and multiple people playing with certain ideas and certain concepts, you know, whether it be a, a religious tradition or any kind of tradition.
1: No, yeah, I mean, we didn't even get, like, Christmas cards until pretty much the printing press was made, you know? So, like, before then, they didn't do that. It was, like, a ridiculous thing that people found very, like, only, like, the rich people could basically participate in, in this activity. And so it's just, it's, it was really interesting. I, again, highly recommend it.
2: Yeah. And, and Paul, let's, let's shoot for 90.95 year span, yeah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know.
0: Some of us aren't lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um but no, that was I think that that was a good way to sort of end out the the sort of Christmas tradition, uh or the Christmas month, the holiday month that we've been having. And uh for our last movies of the of the month, technically one of them is not a Christmas movie, but when else was I gonna talk about it? Yeah. Um but I wanted to do something a little bit more out there and a little bit less um you know, absolutely in the spirit, and so I decided to also pick something I'd never seen before, and so I chose Gremlins, and Gremlins to a new badge. Um, And so I guess, Henry, if you're ready to go.
2: I'm ready whenever y'all are.
0: All right. Well, then we'll jump on into our review of Gremlins, and as always, we have a clip, so take a listen.
2: What is it? It's your (laughs) new tip. Number one, you've got to keep him out of bright light. Number two, keep him away from water. This is incredible. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight.
0: So that was Gremlins from 1984. Yep. It is directed by Joe Dante. And it stars uh, Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, uh, Key Luke, and uh, Corey Feldman, and Dick Miller. And the premise is, a young man inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. And Henry, since you are uh, here with us today, why don't you go ahead and and start us off?
2: Sure, Uh, so Gremlins, I got to Gremlins kind of late. I saw it, I think back in college and I hadn't watched it since then until I just rewatched it um, recently. And um, Joe Dante is someone, I think just in general, I got to kind of late. I think Gremlins was the first thing I saw, but by far my favorite of his uh, is The Burbs with Tom Hanks. I I love The Burbs. And this one, I had heard a lot about it going into it back in the day and overall I enjoy it. I don't think it's, again, it's not my favorite Joe Dante movie and it's not really a movie that, and you said this was what, 84-ish? Okay. Yeah, it's not, when I think of the 80s or my favorite 80s movies, it's not really there. I could see how someone maybe, it could be for some people, but for me, it's just a good movie. I think it's has some fun callbacks to like alien with how the gremlins like explode or you know, all that, all that stuff. I think is really enjoyable and it's very charming and funny and like Joe Dante and Tim Burton definitely have a lot in common. Like they both seem to love fifties and sixties pop culture, like American pop culture, uh, and they seem to both enjoy, like indulging in, like consumerism, but also there's a, at least a little bit of commentary there as well. And so it's it's an enjoyable time, but it's not one that I hold close to my heart or anything. What about y'all,
3: dear?
1: So I. I grew up watching this movie. Um I I always really enjoyed it. I, I guess I was never of the the mindset of like, you know, it is a PG movie, but it could I guess be kinda creepy for children and I never got that. I always just enjoyed the the ride. I, I loved Gizmo. I thought he was, you know, the the Furby before Furbies and mm. it was way less creepy, you know. Um No, I, I, and, and like, when we, when we were thinking of, of movies, you know, I always just, like, throw out Gremlins, it's it's kind of like a joke, I was like, yeah, Gremlins, it's a Christmas movie, Mm -hmm. and it's funny, because, like, I never watched it around Christmas movie, this was, like, one of my Halloween kind of movies growing up, because I felt like, you know, because of the horror aspect of it, it felt better for me into that, but honestly, on this rewatch, I was like, no, there's Christmas all in this, you know, it's, it's very much, it's, it's not just like Christmas as like a decoration. It is, it is happening during a Christmas holiday, and I, I think that it's a fun like mishmash. Um, Chris Columbus is the is the writer, and you can you can see kind of his like weird twisted way of looking at things that is so different from from like Harry Potter, in a way. But I guess that's also because that's not like his original work. Um, no, I always, um, really enjoyed it. I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time, so it was fun to, like, brush off the dust a little bit and and go back to, to a simpler time in my life.
0: Yeah. Paul, what about you? Um, so my first Joe Dante film actually was Small Soldiers when I was a kid, and I loved the hell out of that movie as a child. I thought it was a little deranged. I thought that the the creatures were so cool um i loved the concept i wanted my toys to come to life but like you know not in the toy story fun way but in this sort of weird manic fever dream kind of way um you know it had tommy lee jones as this really wicked you know general character major chip hazard and i thought that the whole thing was super fun um and like, I loved it so much that I remember, I think one year, I think the year that it came out, my parents as my Christmas gift got me like the 12 inch Major Chip Hazard and Archer, um, nice. leader of the Gorgons, uh, figures. And I loved those things. I played with them to death. But then like, uh, I didn't grow up in a gremlin's house, you know, um, my mom didn't really watch it. My dad apparently had seen it and liked it, but like, didn't really talk about it. Um, and I knew like all the pop culture stuff of like, don't get them wet, don't feed them after midnight, uh, you know, that stuff. But I never really actually seen Gremlins. And so when she threw it out for, for Christmas, I was like, you know what? I've never seen Gremlins. What, what's a better time to watch Gremlins than, than now? Um, and I gotta tell you, coming to it at 29, I was absolutely, um, surprised by how much I enjoyed it you know it's it's not a perfect movie, and we can talk about maybe some of the ways that it's not ideal um but I think it's such a dementedly weird, fun, funny movie um that I was absolutely charmed by the whole thing um is it is it maybe necessarily like everyone's idea of a Christmas movie eh but it's it's this wonderful, delightful horror comedy uh it came out the same time as Ghostbusters, yeah. And it's it's credited, those two are credited as being kind of the boom of the, of the horror comedy. And I think that where that sort of stems from is the fact that essentially comedy at its core, especially like Slapstick and stuff like that and some of the physical comedy of Chaplin and, and Keaton goes to ludicrous violence with limited consequence, you know, kind of like a Tom and Jerry, right? Mm-hmm. At the core, Tom and Jerry's humor is violence without consequence and i feel that some of the humor of this kind of hits into that same sweet spot um mm-hmm. and so overall like i was i was leaning forward the whole time watching it i had a great time hmm.
2: and paul uh t- in discussing how to categorize this movie i mean you can put it right alongside the green knight you know along weird <laughs> <versus the movies.
0: laughs> no for sure for sure yeah um you know, honestly, if I, I guess if I had to give this movie any kind of note, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess technically it's it's a little bit kitschy, and maybe the plot doesn't always hold up. But honestly, like, it was just a blast for me. I don't know what what's. Um, I'll, I'll say this for for starters: the positives, the the overwhelming positives for me are first of all, everything is real and everything looks great. Yeah, um, and I think that it's aged really, really well because of that. Because there are so many practical effects, because it's really intricate puppet work. Um, I think that overall, it's aged better than some of the other things, and even its sequel in some ways as well.
2: Yeah, and I guess that's kind of something similar to like early Tim Burton that he they kind of share is that's kind of stop motion or or you know, practical effects uh, that really still hold up, uh, and I, I think. The first half of the movie I think is stronger a little bit because it's not only, there's not only more humor, but also it's when the gremlins are kind of evolving into what they're going to be for the rest of the movie. And then it has that midpoint where they are just the gremlins and it's, it's enjoyable, but it's, you're kind of at a kind of flatlining at that point or or leveling out. And so I think the first half of the movie is something I enjoy a little bit more because of that. But yeah, overall, I mean, I don't really have any huge issues with it. I know some people try and put it in the same boat as something like E.T., but I think E.T. definitely has like more, definitely more heart and a little more, I don't want to say care, but like a little more staying power, whereas Gremlins kind of plays in more of a B-movie zone, which is fine. You know, Joe Dante is a genre director for sure.
3: Uh, and, yeah, so I, it's, I don't, yeah, I don't really have many big notes on it. It's just, what about you, Lauren? Anything?
1: I forgot how gross this movie gets. <laughs> um, watching them, like, the, especially the the point where, like, the, the gremlins then get wet and then just produce more gremlins. And it's, like, weird when it's, you know, when they're fuzzy and cute when it's still the mogwai. But, it definitely starts to get like in that weird icky spot. And I think that it works so well in in making them still feel like they're a real living creature. But I, I can understand how for some people like it would be very squeamish. Um, especially like, you know, when she's when the mom is like battling all of them in the kitchen part where she's like puts one in the microwave and it like explodes and all that. And it's 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 pretty hard to watch, but I think yeah. that that's
2: that's very alien. Like, that's very, like, the effects are very alien.
1: hmm And I think that it's, it's such a rare thing to have it in, like, a movie that's definitely, like, centered around, like, children and, like, uh, I guess probably, like, you know, teenagers and such. Um, no, I think that this movie still, still holds up really well. I can definitely understand, like, the, the script is, is not, is not the best. It is, its of the two, it is definitely better than the second one, um, but I, I always just really enjoy all of the weird little gags that they do, um, like the, like the, the woman who, who's, like, riding her, her chair lift down, down the stairs, you know, with her of her cats, and then they hijack it, and she ends up, like, shooting all the way up, and, like, shooting out the window, you know, it's, it's one of those movies where you're, where you're constantly, like, am I supposed to laugh at this, or am I supposed to be scared at this? Like, it's, it's constantly on that, that borderline, which I think that they do really, really well. Yeah. Um, no, nah, I, I do really enjoy this movie. Um, I understand why I haven't watched it in a while, but I, I, think that it's still one that I'll probably keep in, like, you know, on the, on the shelf, you know, whenever, whenever I get that itch again, it's definitely not like a, a Christmas must. For me, but in any in any way, shape, or form, but I was a pretty like scaredy cat kid, and so like this was like the borderline from this and like actual horror movies like this was this was it for me
2: interesting
0: um I think touching on your your e t comparison, I think that it technically on like a hold on, let me reverse that I think on the e t comparison the movie tries to build it as a sort of magical friend story, right? He's an irresponsible kid. He can't keep care of his dog, um, which gets him and the dog into trouble. And then he gets this magical pet where he has to follow the rules and he doesn't follow any of them, you know? Well, he follows, you know, the two of them, but... Or he doesn't follow two of them. Um... I think the issue is that it's never really made concretely clear in his journey that he learns responsibility and that mm. he learns how to manage you know, himself and become adult and be better at his job. And so I think that he's a little bit of a flat arc character on a certain level. Um, and so I think that they have all of the magical friend components. The, the friend comes in, It helps him grow, and then the friend has to leave because he's no longer needed. Um, But the movie never, I think, really cements that idea of the transformation of our lead character well enough to really land that same emotional mark. Um, I think where it probably succeeds more as a message, you know, sort of for me, is I think that you can almost read the gremlins as kind of all of the negative... Spirit of the holiday, and as him and um, Gizmo as kind of the what it's supposed to be about, right? General goodness, niceness to people, wanting to please people, wanting to be there for people. Um, and so I think it maybe works better as that as the emotional crux, right? As opposed to um, him actually going through any sort of transformation.
2: Yeah, for sure. I agree. Uh, and also uh, on a kind of unimportant note, not that it has any impact on the quality of the movie, but the like the rules that they break, it's not like that hard to follow the rules. Like the rules are pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's like buying a shirt that says dry clean only. Like it's pretty, you know, easy to follow, but, you know, it, I get it it's a movie. No, I'll get for over sure. It.
0: Um <laughs> But yeah, like he definitely is, is just kind of, um, he's a little dense, you know, as a character. Um, And I think up front, he is almost a little bit, not hard to root for, but you're like, God, you're thick kid. Like how does this keep happening? Um, And so I think that he, I think he warmed up to me as a character as the movie went. Mm -hmm. Definitely. This
1: movie has like three sections, like as it's, as it's structured, you know, it's, it's, him with the Mogboy, you know, him doing his best to take care of this, this little creature. Um, then there's transformation, the transformation, the middle point where it's like, oh gosh, she's gotten wet. Now I've got like six of these things and the other ones aren't quite as good as my other one is, but like, they're still not that bad. Like, this is kind of like, who's, who's causing all of this mischief to happen around the house because it can't possibly be these things. And then there's the whole point, like after they they end up eating after midnight where all chaos breaks loose and it's really like his his job to not only fix his mistake, but also like make sure, sh- you know, clean up as much of the mess as possible. You know, now this is his responsibility. It's let loose on the town. And now that's like the only time that he really like stands up and is like, all right, I gotta I gotta fix my mess. And honestly that's why he ends up getting his magical creature taken away at the end because like you know, the, the old man comes back and he's like, you're not ready for this. You, I can tell that you're not ready for this. Look at all the, look at all this crap that you've made happen, you know, and, and literally nobody fights it. Even the parents are like, yeah, you know, it's probably for the best. (laughs) After mom almost like dies, she was, she was kicking ass. I'm just going to say that she's, she's the best one.
0: Mom's the surprise MVP. (laughs) Um, no, I think that's all really fair. Um, as a fun little historical note, I know that I said that I wouldn't ramble at you. And trust me, I did my research on this movie and I could give you a lesson, but I won't. Um, as an interesting note, though, this movie got so many complaints, this and Temple of Doom, um, that this is the reason that PG-13 was created. Um, it was just G, -G PG, uh r and i think x at the time or maybe it was even just pg maybe it was even just GPG and x for a while no there had to be an r anywho regardless this movie and temple of doom were both rated pg and parents hated it they were like it's way too graphic it's way too grisly it's way too horrific for children
2: it's like jaws
0: yeah and uh the mpaa i guess bitched enough of a blue streak Um, that Steven Spielberg eventually came in front of him since he had his hand in both of these films and was like, then make a new rating. (laughs) And so that's where PG-13 was actually born. Um, But I think it's, I think it's super interesting that this movie was, was rated PG. And then we can talk about how the next one was rated PG-13 and, and whether or not we think there's like a a true linkage, sort of, you know, whether or not it should have been versus this one. But we'll talk about that one more in the second one. But yeah, as a little fun fact. Yeah. This is where PG 13 was born. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a relatively modern invention. Um I think that and like NC17 are both like some of the more modern ratings of the ratings board, which is a nebulous and strange organization. Yeah.
1: And we watched the, like, behind the scenes, the making of the movie, and honestly, these are some pretty, pretty, um, for their times, like, technical marvels of creatures. I just assumed, you know, that they were like, like, uh, like the Muppets movie, you know, the hand in a creature, and it's making all this stuff happen. And that's yeah. why you don't really see their feet that often. It's because, you know, you can't have feet when you've got an arm stuck up in it. But honestly, these things are like, like little robots at a certain extent and it's really just so cool on a a technical level as well because like for Gizmo they had like wires that came out of him and so like the main kid had to have like wires shoved all through his suit all the way down to his feet where there were like a few technical people with like joysticks and stuff to like make Hmm. Gizmo emote and look around and he was like yeah I couldn't really look around or like move too much without basically being tethered to like six other people it's just for them to to make that movie magic happen in in such like an effective way I I never once thought that these creatures weren't real and I think that you know that could be I feel like we should go back you know a little bit to that instead of relying so heavily on well we'll just do it in post you know all of it is right there in the camera and I just think that that's so cool
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And like they also did some clever stuff with with making like an over large gizmo for the close up so he could articulate more and do more in the face. But then they had to go and create oversized props and things. So whenever you're looking at like gizmo in the backpack, with all of that stuff around him, they had to go in and make scaled up books or scaled up pillows or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that is his background. Um, to make this like now three to four foot tall gizmo that they made seem the correct scale. It's really it's really clever, smart filmmaking. Um, yeah. And also as a, a little added note, I forgot these people from the cast, gizmo is voiced by Howie Mandel of America's That's... Got Talent and Deal or No Deal fame.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but most of the other gremlin voices and in particular uh, Stripe are voiced by none other than Frank Welker, Scooby-Doo and Megatron himself. Ah, didn't know that. Yeah, a little fun fact for y'all. Yeah. So Henry, if you Mm -hmm. had to rate Gremlins, what would you rate it? Heavy four, Paul, heavy four for me. I think that's fair. I think I'd give it a four as well. Dear, how about you?
1: No, that's what I was thinking as well. Obviously, like, this is not a perfect movie, and
0: I totally understand that. But, like, it's, it's a gym. You know? Yeah, it's, it's got a little sweet spot in my heart. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll move on now to a definitely not a Christmas movie. Um, but again, when else was I going to talk about it? Like, how else am I supposed to tag Gremlins 2 into an episode?
2: Paul, oh, you had to. <laughs>
0: so even if we don't talk about it for terribly long uh without any further ado here is a clip for gremlins 2 the new batch and as always we have a clip so take a listen
4: remember the last time We told you not to feed them after midnight. We told you to keep them away from the light. And the most important warning of all, we told you to never, ever
0: get them wet. You didn't listen. So that was Gremlins 2, the new batch. It came out in 1990. Uh, It's directed by Joe Dante, with all of its animated sections being directed by uh, Chuck Jones. And it stars Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Howie Mandel, Tony Randall, John Glover, Robert Prosky, Robert Picardo, Dick Miller, uh, Gede Watanabe, and one Mr. Christopher Lee. And the premise is the gremlins are back. And this time, they've taken control of a New York C- City media mogul's high-tech skyscraper. Um, dear, do you want to start us on?
1: Sure. <laughs> wow. This movie lost all of the charm. It of- <laughs> was like, what if the Gremlins were the whole thing? They were like, ah, it's just a whole bunch of, like, Muppets-esque bits of them, you know, doing New York things and WB stuff. And I was like, wow, this is just the worst kind of sequel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um Henry, what did you think?
2: Oh well, i'm I guess I'm kind of in agreement, but also kind of not. Uh I this was actually a first-time watch for me. And so I I not to take over your position, Paul, but I know that they'd asked Joe Dante to do a sequel, but he didn't want to. And then they let him basically have full creative control. And he, you know, came back and was, you know, able to do it the way he wanted to. And I think that in a way, I guess, again, similar to Tim Burton, like that can really help a movie, but usually it doesn't. And I think in this movie, it is so, it's such a weird sequel. It's all over the place. There's very little plot. It's just a lot of gags and all of that. But I think overall, I actually enjoy it about as much as the first one, but it, in its own way for, for different reasons. And so I enjoyed the absurdity of it. And the, I think the special effects and the designs are probably the best of all of his movies for me. So all of that, uh, I really enjoy. But then it's just sometimes things fall flat or the storyline, you're like, Jesus, there's like nothing here. and. <laughs> Uh, So overall, I do think it's still pretty solid, but again, it's not one like, I enjoy the experience of watching it, but when I'm done with it, I'm not really thinking about it very much. What about y'all?
0: No, yeah, so first off, was this a first time watch for everyone?
1: Yeah, I I honestly, I had thought I had watched this movie before, but we started it and I was like, I don't remember any of this. Mm.
0: Um, okay, so yeah, this was a first-time launch for me, and we did Gremlins and Gremlins 2 in the same day. We watched one, waited a few hours, and then started the second one. Okay. Um, honestly, even as we're recording this, I still don't necessarily know 100% how I feel about it. Um, I think, you know, I think kind of like Henry said, there are great moments in the movie, really funny gags, really funny bits. And bits where it is, you know, a, a true what Joe Dante wanted, which was to satirize the first one. And I think that there are times where it hits that perfectly. And then suddenly I go, wait a minute, that's not where we left that character. How the hell did they get here? And the movie has no interest in telling me. And I go, what in the fuck is this thing? And I get kind of pulled back out of it. And there are gags and characters that I think they put in and then don't use as effectively as they could. And so ultimately, even though I think I kind of like it, I I don't know if I like it as well as the first one. And I think honestly, um, I think it really only gets good kind of once they throw everything out of the window And it just becomes a theme park ride on a certain level because Mm -hmm. whenever I think it pretends to have a plot is probably where it's at its worst.
2: Yeah. Uh, Christopher Lee is really good though. I like him a lot.
0: Oh yeah. And honestly, like let me also specify, I don't think that any of this is necessarily the, the actor's fault. I think, um, you know, Galligan and Cates are doing as best as they can to bring that heart and charm back. Um, but i just don't think that the story is there to support them in any kind of way no
1: i also really enjoy the um the business mogul um you know in his like ridiculous antics i think that uh i oh gosh i don't know the actor's name john glover i think that he does a fantastic job i think that he really understands the character and he's just kind of like a lovable idiot and i think that that's like super strong i love the the whole um weird mad scientist uh level I think that's just bananas and I think that's great but they also you know I know that they only put all that stuff in there so that way they could have the whole like and then the gremlins transform into nonsense part of it and you know that's pretty hit or miss for me because also I don't think that they really do anything other than like one gag per transformation with each of them and then at the end, it's all just, like, regular-looking gremlins down partying in the in the lobby until, like, the final scene. And I was like, man, we could have really had some, like, fun, you know, whole array of transformed ones at the ends with their different powers and such, you know, in this final sequence. And they were like, nope, one and done for each of them. Yeah. Missed opportunities.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I get that for sure. Uh in terms of like some of the designs or the characters, I do like the brain gremlin. That's a lot of fun. Um, And yeah, I mean, just like the the special effects again, they're they're pretty great and you can feel how, since he did have such creative control, how passionate and how personal it is. And so that really comes out. And so that's a plus for the movie. Other than that, uh, the theater scene is really uh, enjoyable. I like that a lot. Hulk Hogan
0: almost steals the whole movie right then.
2: Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, in the first movie, there's the scene in, at the microwave where it, it explodes. And in this scene, or in this movie, there's the paper shredder, which mm-hmm. like even, even for like an 80s movie, it's pretty shocking. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I guess it works in this movie for the most part. It's kind of grim and I, I guess I get that. So yeah, it's it kind of runs out of steam uh, a bit of of the way through, but still it's so wild and again, self-indulgent that it is memorable in that way for better and for worse. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I think, you know, for satire or parody or whatever you're, you're doing, if you're trying to call to attention a sort of joke on, previous subject material, I think you need to know what your punchline is for the overall thing. Mm -hmm. And I think with Joe Dante's take on Gremlins 2, I think his joke was, oh, you thought the last one had too much gremlins? Here you go. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that makes the whole experience, to your point, you know, sort of land. You know, last night we watched The Last Action Hero, Ah. which is doing a great send-up of Action films and that sort of thing, and so like that that sequence where Arnold is driving and every single car blows up, you know, like I thought that that was really good, and overall, I thought that that movie did a better job at, even though it's still an imperfect movie, knowing what it wanted to make fun of and what the ultimate punchline of that movie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's the same sort of thing with like um, Galaxy Quest you know galaxy quest had a very specific sort of overall punchline for the movie um if you will and i don't think that this had that clarity i think it just had a oh you know you thought gremlins was bad wait till you see what i can do um and so yeah i think that that's to the detriment of the movie i agree that i think the character design is great I actually found it less oogie and less creepy. And I think that that's why I find it all the funnier that this one has a PG 13 rating. Because in many ways, I think that this one was much tamer comparatively. Cause also a lot of the gross stuff, like in the finale where all of the gremlins blow up, they're also all covered up in fake electricity. Yeah. So it's, it's almost hard to see some of what's happening. Um, and so you know they they even make some references you know into what they're trying to riff on in this movie and 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 so i i think that parts of it are successful and parts of it work but ultimately i definitely think that it's only memorable honestly to your point in the way that it is just kind of like crazed camp all of the time mm-hmm. yeah um <laughs> honestly um and also i thought that having some of the main characters from the last one return was a little bit of a mistake i think that maybe the joke could have worked better if we had people who were removed from the previous one you yeah. know like having dick miller come back one just kind of pointless because it, it removes things that our main characters that are new to the movie can do um I think that it's not really necessary to have Billy come back and all of these people. I think that you could have done a news story where new people find these things and you're making a joke on the last one. I actually think that having the cast return and making it a direct sequel harms the fact that it's supposed to be a joke. Mm-hmm. No, I agree.
1: I mean, honestly, like one of the best like jokes for me um, was the, the whole, the newsroom group of people that are just like making fun of him being like you know oh you can't get it wet oh but it pupates oh that's only after it eats oh of course of course and literally that being butted up with the fact that then they all get attacked i yeah. thought that was hilarious i was like oh this is perfect you know you don't don't believe it until you see it right there and then after they're just like they they're so awestruck by what happened that like they still can't even process it even though they had you know so much warning for it, and I just I think that you know, like those things really landed for me as like an actual like laugh out loud funny moment. Whereas like there were so many times where I was like, "Oh, you're doing the Phantom now. Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah. what a world! What a world! You're melting. Ah, you know, it was just like
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: great. <laughs> we had time for this. Delightful.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think I'll probably eventually rewatch Gremlins 2, the new batch, but I, I definitely don't think that it's one that I'll I'll return to as frequently, um, just because it, it doesn't have that heart. It comes across as a much colder movie.
3: Yeah,
2: for sure.
1: I liked the the Key and Peel sketch about it though. I thought that that was really funny. I think if you haven't watched it, I think
2: you should. I, I haven't got that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, there's a there's a great one. Um it's like four and a half minutes long. You could search it on YouTube. Um and I think that it, it sums up exactly how this movie was made. Um okay. but uh no, I, I don't think that it's a disaster. I think that I've seen worse films, but I think that for me, yeah, it was definitely a come down um mm-hmm. from that first one. Um Fair enough. Dear you, if you if you had to to rate it out of out of five.
1: Hmm. I'm gonna give this one like a, like a solid two and a half for all of the bad jokes, but I'm gonna give it some points for all of the visual interesting
2: design.
0: Okay, Henry, what about you? I'll
2: go late four.
3: Oh, okay, and <laughs> <Hittin'> heavy.
0: <laughs> uh, abstain. No, I only, I'm only kidding. Um, yes. <laughs> I think I'll go with a I'll give it a 3. Hulk Hogan honestly ran he really sold that that moment for me. It's one of my favorite moments in the movie. And I like a lot of the gags and I enjoy some of the the almost muppet-like but for teenagers humor of it. Um but it just it narratively doesn't stick the landing for me. Um as a random aside, I think Hulk Hogan should have come in and saved the day. You know, like he already broke the fourth wall and he was like, you're not going to take this movie, you know, from the people. And I think that when it looked like the, the Gremlins were going to win, I think is the moment that the Hulk Hogan should have shown back up, the Hulkster, maybe with other wrestlers, and that it should have turned into wrestlers versus Gremlins in the last moment. I think that that would have really brought it home for people.
1: Oh, yeah. I, yeah, yes, more
3: whole
0: Hogan, we need it. <laughs> um, as a random um, little, little, uh, oh my God, I had a whole little trivia bit that I was gonna share for you on this movie. Come on, Paul. Oh, yes, here it is. So um, in the movie theater, it was the whole, like the film starts to glitch out and, and the movie's interrupted. Um, and for the theatrical release on VHS, they did a similar thing, but they were like, well, we can't have it be in the theater. So for the VHS release of the film, the tape messes up and the shadow puppets happen over like a white noise screen. Mm -hmm. And the person that demands, and it's just in voice only, that the gremlins fix the movie is john wayne but john wayne was dead at the time and so they talked to his son patrick and his patrick uh his son patrick suggested um a particular voice actor to do a john wayne voice Mm -hmm. and so the the voice that you hear in it is this person doing his best john wayne impression demanding that the gremlins turn the movie back on uh, and you can actually go and watch it on like the DVD releases now cuz you know there's no good way to to really do that on DVD so now on on digital and streaming and and disc they just go to the original theatrical version interesting yeah i didn't know that uh, i'm chock full of fun facts <laughs> clearly <laughs> um, so last week we talked about like christmas films and and what makes a good christmas film i don't think that we addressed this uh henry what are your your must watches every
2: year you know i'm gonna sound kind of like a hipster i don't really have um i don't know if that's hipster or not uh i don't really have one i have to watch every year it's honestly different every year um so really it's like this year i i watched home alone a couple weeks ago um And I I don't know if I've watched many others, to be honest, like that's, I've just been watching movies. Um, And so unfortunately not for the interesting discussion, I I don't really have many must watches for Christmas. Do y'all? Okay.
0: Um, Honestly, there are ones that I try to hit every year. the one that I've probably hit the most consistently, the two that I've hit the most consistently for probably five or more years running now are The Holiday and White Christmas. Those are both good because ones. Because
1: your father loves The Holiday.
0: And Wait, White who Christmas. doesn't? <laughs> holiday and rocks. Yes, maybe, because it's embarrassing for her.
1: <laughs> it's not her acting that she can't cry. She just can't act. <laughs> so they had a cut in the movie.
0: Um, Dear, what about you? Um, well, I used to love watching,
1: um, like, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. I was always, um, I always really loved watching Home Alone. We did end up watching that this year. Um, and last. And last year, yeah. Um, I do really like Rise of the Guardians. I know it's not, I guess, necessarily a Christmas movie, but Santa is one of the main characters in it, and it's, I guess it is more of an Easter movie, but, a uh, Easter,
0: you know? Um, it's like, it has a very wintry aesthetic, and one of our lead characters is Jack Frost. So I think that because of the presence of both Jack and Santa, it leans a little bit more Christmas feeling.
1: hmm But I've always been kind of, I guess, I'm a bit of more of a Scrooge of a, of a person, just because of years and years and years of being in chorus and starting the good old Christmas season in September, learning Christmas music. And so, mm-hmm. like, by the time Christmas gets around, I'm so, I'm so done with it, usually, mm-hmm. that I'm, like, anything that's kind of anti-Christmas is, like, my, my bread and butter. So I'll yeah. usually do, like, Nightmare, you know, and, and all of these, these array of not quite so Christmas movies that we've done. Because um, I feel, yeah. like, for me, like, the Christmas holiday keeps spreading further and further into, into the season of fall every year. You know, there are people who start it right after thanksgiving but then there are those crazy people who are like after halloween you know forget thanksgiving i want christmas and i can't do it you know two months of christmas is too much christmas for me
2: yeah i was at target yesterday and they already had the valentine's day section up i was like you gotta chill out
1: (laughs) (laughs) calm down goodness gracious nobody's buying this right
4: now
2: i know
1: and who is it for? It's honestly just like a visual reminder for the, for the vast public of the people who still don't know when these days of the year fall on. I remember when I was in retail, people would ask me what day Valentine's Day was. And I was like, it's the same day every year. It's the 14th. (laughs) You know, so it's just have to remind people. Yeah.
0: No. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, January's a dead month. Might as well, you know, we've got this section marked out as our seasonal stuff. And so if there's nothing in January, then we might as well start filling it with February stuff. And what's in February? Valentine's Day.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, that and Black History Month, but nobody cares about that. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) That's right. So, yeah, that's, that's, you know, sort of a a good little way to wrap out our, our Christmas year. Um, I guess we can move on into what we've been watching. And last week, Henry, you were going to go and see No Way Home. We still haven't seen it yet. Don't worry about spoiling things for us. We don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you want to include spoilers, you know, you can just give the, the listeners a little, a little shout, but what'd you
2: think? Uh, yeah, so I, um, I was fortunate enough to have got. we got there kind of late, and uh, we got to sit in the very front row. That was a lot of fun. Um, but I I mean, I, I like Marvel as, I mean, I've talked on the show plenty of, about it, and I was really skeptical about bringing everybody back, like it's just kind of you know regurgitating, you know, just enough of that. And so I was a little worried going in. Overall, I actually enjoyed it more than I thought I would, and I thought that the bringing back of the past Spider-Man's and the villains, which I don't think you, that's a spoiler, but bringing all that back was actually done a lot better than I thought. And there was some very like serious moments with it, but also there was some self-awareness to like, this is ridiculous. And so actually I enjoyed it. And I think that Angie Garfield and Toby Maguire and having Tom Holland there as well was actually pretty awesome and it was done well. And then, for the most part the villains were good there are a few kind of some lulls in the middle it's pretty long like i would i could i would take off maybe at least 15 or 20 minutes it's like two and a half hours um and so overall i think i still enjoy far from home is the second one i believe with jake gyllenhaal yeah i th- still enjoy that one a little bit more this would probably be second and then homecoming would be about the same in uh, third um yeah it's just it it was much better better than I thought it would be. I think that I can see why people love it. I don't really love the idea of why people love it because again, it's just bringing back previous content, but for what it is, it was uh pretty competent okay. so yeah i I think I think you all will enjoy it
0: yeah, I honestly don't think that I'll necessarily hate it um And I don't dislike the concept of bringing in these alternate versions of Peter. Um, Honestly, the thing that I have hated the most from it is this discourse of people being like, now we need to do Rainey's Spider-Man four. Now we need to finish out the amazing Spider-Man trilogy. Fuck it. And fuck that idea. It's the worst idea possible. Move forward, move on, make different things. It's, Oh, Y'all all all sound like Jack from Lost. Kate, we have to go back to the island. Shut up.
3: Yeah. No.
1: (laughs) They
0: can't. They
1: refuse. If they stay in 2002 long enough, then maybe they can go back to it.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. Um, And so for me, like, I've hated that kind of, like, restore the Snyderverse dialogue that's now infecting this and like i've even seen on twitter guillermo went and shared his idea on um what his pacific rim 2 sequel was going to be Mm. and i've now seen people being like ah they need to let him go and redo pacific rim 2 and i'm like no if anything let him finish out hellboy (laughs) first off if we're gonna do anything let him finish hellboy second of all in general, move on. He moved on. You should, too. (laughs) He made it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like, I would said, oh, yeah, and one last thing about the movie, I could have used a little less Doctor Strange in the movie. He was in in it more than I thought he would be, or at least more so in the first half, because really, nothing, I, I like Benedict Cumberbatch, and I like the concept of the character, but, whenever he would come on screen, it would be these like exposition dumps of like the most absurd dialogue you could ever imagine. Like the magic sphere is connecting with the, you know, this verse and that verse. And like, it just completely, that's one of the reasons why the um, the Tobey Maguire ones in particular will always kind of be above these because these movies are obliged to feed into the rest of the universe. Whereas those don't because obviously it's just a straight trilogy and this movie or this series has to constantly call back to these other parts of the MCU and it's just not interesting and it's pretty goofy at times. And so, um, yeah, could have used a little bit less of him, but Willem Dafoe was awesome. Alfred Molina was great. Really everybody who were the, the, the villains once again were, uh, was quite good and uh, marissa tomei was excellent and i think this is probably tom holland's best performance as spider-man but maybe that's because they just gave him more to do but i think this is his best
0: okay um i think part of the reason that strange feels a little bit odd is that this was originally supposed to take place after his movie um and so multiverse of madness i think was going to set up some of this like thinning of space and time um but since then because of pandemic issues and stuff like that they ended up pushing strange so far back they then ended up having to rewrite some of the reasoning for why this was happening
2: and so i think Mm. that's
0: possibly also why he's coming in and doing such awkward exposition dumps is because they're having to go back and fix the fact that the movie's order got switched entirely.
2: Sure. Um, and then, yeah, last thing about the movie, Tobey Maguire is the greatest. Just was awesome. He'll so always begin. be the best. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, what else? Uh, have you all watched anything recently?
0: Yeah, so since our last recording, uh, we did watch The Holiday and White Christmas. Both are great um we also watched um for the first time uh for me uh it was lauren it's one of lauren's favorites we watched um spirited away lovely delightful yeah. move, movie absolutely charming um i was very smitten with it for it being so too for it being two hours you know plus it moves incredibly well. The pacing of it is super dynamic. The characters are very engaging. The world is super interesting. My first Miyazaki movie, I've only seen two. That's my film confession right now. Oh. Um, my first one was Howl's Moving Castle, and I really liked that one a lot. Um, but honestly, I prefer Spirited Away, I think. Hmm. No,
1: I'd, I'd see that I, I feel that as well. I find that, that like now having rewatched uh, Spirited Away. I haven't seen this movie in in quite some time. Um, *House Moving Castle kind of I feel like it's almost trying to mimic a lot of these uh, emotional beats and a lot of character types for me and I feel like they just they're they're a lot better in, in Spirited Away than in Howl's because it is also kind of like a similar story of it like at the at the crux of it it's like a love story.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that the same they're the same kind of characters, you know, it's like a young girl, naive, thrown into a magical world, and then she ends up falling in love with a young man who lives in the magical world and has magical abilities, and they're kind of, you know, copy and paste almost, so I just think that they're done better in a spirited way, especially with the world itself, and I always just really enjoy the the characters, and honestly, Miyazaki has just, like, a beautiful way of not only like building the world, but also like presenting that world to you visually, I find just so fascinating and it's just breathtaking when you get to like have all of those wide sweeping shots of like the exteriors and of nature, and it's just really interesting not only just um with the characters themselves but also just like the whole picture feels like a like a work of art
0: mm-hmm. no, for sure um. Beyond that, last night we watched The Last Action Hero, which was a first time for both of us. Such a blast, a really fun movie. Um, Again, not perfect. I think that there are ways that, especially the finale, could have delivered better on what the premise promises. Um, But I think overall, it's really enjoyable. Have you seen Last Action Hero?
2: I have, it's been, uh, been a hot minute, but yes, I have. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I found this movie to be a little bit like um, where we are now in, in cinema, in the making of, of movies. It was kind of like this, you know, it's this kid who, who loves movies so much that he's willing to give up his own life in the real world in order to live in a fantasy world with fake characters where he can basically predict every little move that they do and I feel like that's exactly where we are with movies everybody's like yeah I want to know exactly what's gonna happen. I want the comfort
0: my life is too chaotic I want the comfort.
1: Yeah, yeah I don't I don't want to be surprised anymore I want to be able to know that like he's gonna shoot that guy and jump out of that window and survive and like a bullet wound is is just a flesh wound in this world and nobody dies you know and yeah. it's it, it's really interesting, especially considering you know this this movie is from nineteen ninety three and it feels like we're just you know in this in this cycle of constantly redoing the same kind of you know blah,
3: <laughs> yeah as,
1: as as they're talking about as they're satirizing in this movie is is I feel like where we are now, you know, with this whole like bring it back. Let's do it again, one more time or let's, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, but with cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really interesting, and I honestly really enjoyed how, how on the nose it is, but also where it finds its own heart, and I do agree that it doesn't land as well all of the time, but I think that Arnold is really funny, in in a way that, like, you don't get to see too often, is, like, Arnold being, like, actually, like, um, amusing, and not just, Just muscle and accent.
0: Yeah, I don't know where Arnold of the 90s went, but I miss him.
1: Mm -hmm. He got into politics.
0: Yeah. Um, Beyond that, the only other thing that we've seen since uh, we last recorded um, is Matrix Resurrections. But, dear listener, you don't get to hear what we thought of that this episode. You're going to have to come back next week if you want to know what we thought, because we're going to be doing Matrix Resurrections and Free Guy. Cruel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm pulling an MCU. We're teasing them for the next one.
2: Yeah. No, I've I've been wanting to to watch that myself. So yeah, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I haven't seen Free Guy either. But
0: Okay, it's all right. That's what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> um But no, I uh I think I think we'll I think we'll probably have pretty similar opinions on free guy matrix is probably a little bit more of a flip of the coin. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll be curious Uh to know what you think when you see it.
1: But honestly, isn't that just the matrix in general, you know, it's, it's constantly having people of differing opinions left, right, and center because, you know, it's, it's too aware of itself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, I think that's just about all that we have time for, uh, Henry, you know, we're not quite sure when you'll join us again. Uh, would, you, would you like to say anything to the listeners? Any hmm. final messages before we head into
2: 2022? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, ha- it's been nice to be back on. And, you know, it, I was, when we recorded last week, I was kind of just going through the episodes over the years. And I think that, It is kind of cool now that we've been going for I think four and a half years now, and there really is at this point like a history to the show. And it is kind of cool to like go back and hear all the different guests that we've had on, the different hosts, and like each not each year, but each kind of stage has its own personality to it, and try different things. And so I think it is really cool. If not saying you have to start at the very beginning, but like it is cool to dance around a little bit and just hear some past experiences past hosts and uh just see how the show has evolved uh over the years and i really you know whether you're a new listener now or you've been listening for a while i do really appreciate everybody who's been supporting it that's been been awesome and um i'm hoping to be back on when i can i january i'm kind of going to be in like kind of blackout mode but then and um after that i should have a fairly regular schedule so i might quite possibly be able to come on every so often, maybe on weekends or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, I mean, and Paul again, and to you Lauren as well, it's been awesome to see what y'all have done with the show and just enjoy me not being on it. And um, yeah, so it's, I wish everybody the best with the new year, just stay safe and think before you act. So.
0: Very fair. Yeah. Um, dear, anything you would like to say to the listeners before we move into 2022?
1: Sure. Um, this time of year can be hard. You know, you're, you're starting a new new year and you, there's always this like weird, oh gosh, I got to reinvent myself. What have I done with this year? You know, yada, yada, yada. You know, just remember that you're still here and that's an achievement in itself. And it's not about what you do, but it's, you know, it's who you are. It's you're you can do things without even realizing it. You know, it's not necessarily all of the achievements necessarily. It's not the, it's not the Facebook posts or the Instagrammable lifestyle. You're enough on your own and you make more of an impact than you realize. So take that into the new year and yeah. Happy new year.
3: Yeah. Um, said love.
4: Hmm.
3: yeah, no, that's, that's well said. Um, yeah, that's all I got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, um, 2021 was something, you know, I, I began this year, um, Coming on as, as a little bit of a guest host, and then I became the regular co host, and now I've been hosting for a while. Um, thank you all for listening. It's, it's been quite a journey, and I thank Henry for putting his faith in me, and I, I thank you all for continuing to come, new and old. Um, 2022, you know, promises everything that every year promises. Uh, struggle and triumph, you know? And that sounds a little bit bleak, but that's the human condition, right? Work and success yeah. and hardship. Um, but hopefully, you know, you have people in in your corner. And if you don't, uh, hell, the film buds will be. And, uh, sure. you know, we're planning to grow and change and do some different stuff in the new year. Um, but it'll always ultimately be about friendship and, and film and how film can bring us together, even if we have differing opinions. Yeah. Um, so please keep listening. Um, we're gonna try and always do our best to make a show that, that's worth listening to, that you guys like listening to. Um, we'll be adding in some different stuff, changing a few things, um, but it's gonna be a good time. And we hope that you stick with us for the journey. And we hope that you all have a happy new year. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, no, you got it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I was also going to say, if you would like to help us with some of our journey, by March, March is, is when you can go and try and become Rotten Tomato certified.
3: Nice.
0: And so if you haven't already, go and give us a review. Uh, we meet all of the criteria but one. And it's the number of reviews that keep us at a four-star rating. So go and give us a review. Tell your friends to give us a listen and give us a review. Um, but if you would like to go and try and give us, give us some help, go and give us a review um, and, and help us grow and, and tell people about us. You can find us at uh, The Film Buds on Instagram and The Film Buds Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook. And as always, we haven't had a listener question in a while, but as always, you can email us at the filmbudspodcast at gmail.com.
2: Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, Paul, I was going to say, uh, also, along with getting a review, which I, I very much encourage, if you want to laugh, you can go through some of the Film Buds reviews on iTunes. And people, there have been some passionate people on there, for better or worse. So if you want to <laughs> laugh, you can no, uh, go through absolutely. the reviews. So.
0: Uh, actually, we did have a semi-recent review. Let me go and pull that up real quick.
3: It was very eloquent. I have to share it. Okay.
0: It was from October twenty-second, from Jules Guam six seven one. Ten out of ten. Highly recommend. Quality podcast.
2: Nice. <laughs> It's probably Sky Tilly. He goes 10 out of 10. He always has to use 10-star ratings. (laughs) Sky, you (laughs) devious dog, using a pseudonym. Sneaky dog.
0: (laughs) But no, thank you. Thank you, Henry, uh, for coming on, for everything you've done, for letting me join you on this this wonderful journey. And thank you, dear, for for joining me.
1: Hey, I don't have anything else to do, so might as well record what we already talk about.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I guess we'll see y'all next week. Um, next month is going to be Movies That We Missed in 2021. Uh, we actually already posted what our themes are going to be for the next three months uh, oh, over okay. on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so go ahead and, and give that a look. and And we look forward to seeing y'all in the new year. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. So long.